Well, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited about what I'm teaching tonight. Hopefully I'll get you excited too, somewhere in the process of this. Looks like everybody was waiting for next week when we're serving dinner. <laughs> but we'll <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hopefully uh, that we'll, we'll be eating on the, on the bread of life, the word of God. So, and people will leave satisfied even without the dinner. Tonight, my topic is what faith looks like. And this part of the Bible... If you were to, you know, if there was like a dictionary and you opened up faith, you know, and guess whose picture you'd see in there? Abraham. So we're going to talk tonight about Abraham. It says that he is the father of all those that believe. And his life is amazing in many ways, but we're also going to see that he's very relatable. You know, that his, in spite of the fact that his faith was legendary, that here we are thousands of years later talking about the fact that he's the father of all who believe. There were times and moments in his life that faith wasn't so much there, you know, as it is in ours. And so I think in looking at his life, we're going to understand more about faith and relating to God. And, and I know for me, I want more faith. I've seen the fruit of that in my life as I've grown in faith. And so in looking at his his life will understand a little bit more. But I want to kind of, before we get into his life, do a recap because we're in the series Jesus Christ the Prequel, and we've been going through all the things that led to the coming of Jesus Christ. So we've gone through Adam and Eve and the fall, and all through this and what we're going to be looking at is looking at how much God loves all of us and how much he is fighting for us throughout all of humanity, that, that God's continued to respond with love and mercy. And I think a lot of times people think the Old Testament is something where they see God as an ogre. And so part of wanting to look at this is to look at it more closely because when I see the Old Testament, I see the mercy of God. I see his understanding. I see him putting up with a lot. And we certainly saw that in, um, we saw that God's original plan in paradise was he wanted people to live in paradise. His plan was not that Adam would fall and that the world would become what it is and there would be so much evil and darkness. That was definitely not, you know, a lot of times people think that God had it all kind of plotted out that way. Everything happens for a reason. Um, I hear that expression a lot. I don't believe that that's true at all, actually. Um, I believe that there's a lot of hideous things that happen that God has no part of and that have nothing to do with his will or his intention. And we even see it, actually, as, as it progresses, as the story progresses, uh, and they leave the garden. And then last week we talked about Noah and the flood. And what had happened is, you know, God had had this beautiful paradise and, and wanted people to live on forever and to communicate and have a relationship with him and be happy with all that he had created. He said all he had made was very good. And then, lo and behold, not too long down the road, it got to a place where it said that the entire earth was so evil that, there th that the thoughts of people were always evil continually. Now, if you can think of what the epitome of evil is to you, you can I think it's hard to even imagine how dark it would be living in a world that every human being's thoughts were 
only evil continually. And it says that God actually grieved that he made people, that his heart was broken and he hurt, you know, about the condition of things. So certainly this wasn't something he was expecting. And so he sent the flood, but Noah was somebody that had faith. And so God kept Noah and his family alive to repopulate the earth. And so that's where we left off last week. And we're going to go to, we're going to pick up again in Genesis 12. You've got your little time chart in your program that kind of gives you, we're going to be walking along that time chart. Um, Genesis 12 and verse 1. I want to kind of fill in because clearly we can't read the whole Old Testament together. But um, what happens after Noah, he's got kids and they get kids. And then, lo and behold, people do it again and the Tower of Babel happens. And the Tower of Babel is where people decide that they are going to be God and build a, a big, long big tall tower that they can get to heaven all by themselves that this is where people go and as you see and we're going to see throughout the course of mankind is that the tendency is for people to try and eliminate God and be gods you know we we saw that before Noah and here we see it with the Tower of Babel where people are like okay this isn't about God this is about that we're going to build this giant tower and ascend to heaven on our own and so God then it says everybody spoke the same language at that time and that he caused the languages to be confounded and, and for people to be dispersed so that they spoke different languages and that would give them the sense of, of having a little bit more dependency upon God. So then, after, shortly after that, we're going to come to Abraham. And uh, Abraham, we're going to pick up in Genesis 12, who it says... The Lord had said to Abram, his name was Abram back then, Uh, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now, it's, it's really, if you think about this, it's kind of the emphasis. Look at the emphasis in this verse. It says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. So how hard would that be if God told you to do that right now? We're, we tend to be a nation or a culture that people do move away from families, but this was not the way that they operated back then. I would say even in our culture today, if God gave you a word that said, leave your country, now think about that. How comfortable would that be? God gives you a word. And then you can see the emphasis. It's leaving everything he's comfortable with, your people, your, all of your friends, all the people that mean a whole lot to you, that you have relationships with, that you grew up with your whole life. And it says, and your father's household, your family, and go to a land I will show you. So this is not, I wouldn't say, I mean, if God told me this, I'd, have, I'd struggle with it. You know, this would not be, I'd be like, huh, what? Like, talk about uncomfortable. That sounds very uncomfortable to me. And God's not even saying, oh, it, w- it might be different if he kind of said, and I'm going to take you to France or, you know, <laughs> someplace, you know, that you know about, that you kind of have heard about, that you really like and you like the food and the wine and all of that. No, it wasn't that. He just says, I'll tell you where to go. You don't know where this is, but I'll, don't worry about it. Just go. I'll tell you, tell you how to get there. So, and, and then it says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, 
And whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And then it says in verse 4, So Abraham left, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, this is, again, it's, this is an incredible promise. God says, if you do this, it's conditional. And a lot of times the promises to receive from God are conditioned upon us acting on certain things. Much of the fruit of what God's promises for what the land of plenty will be for you sometimes comes with having to walk out difficult things first. Sometimes it comes with not being so comfortable, getting out of what you're used to, what you're accustomed to, for God to take you someplace better. So the promise, he's telling, this is a pretty good promise. It says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So that's the original promise from God. And again, we see as evidence of Abraham's faith is his first thing says he left. Now, we, it doesn't say that, you know, what went between that. I have no idea if there was a particular challenge. I think if just knowing human beings that, you know, anything like this. I don't know a human being on earth that has no issue with, with having questions, doubts, or what have you. So I think it's just sort of the brevity of the, of the text. But I'm assuming Abraham had feelings much like you and me and that that would have you know, he would have recognized that it was challenging but decided to just go because God spoke. So it shows you the obedience. It shows you his willingness. And they took everything and, uh, and left. And then what happens is there turns, to, there turns out to be a famine, and so they go to Egypt. And um, <laughs> so you see faith. We start off with Abraham having faith. And then the next thing, he goes to Egypt. And Sarah, apparently, there are many records of how beautiful Sarah was. And so he starts freaking out that if they go to Egypt, that Pharaoh is going to kill him so that he can have his wife because everybody wants Sarah. So he lies and says, you know, tell, says, we've got to say you're my sister. And so, so they get to Egypt and of course, you know, Pharaoh digs Sarah and, and blesses Abraham, gives him all kinds of, you know, wealth and everything. But then takes Sarah and is about to you know, hook up with her and uh, make her one of his many wives. And all of a sudden, got, there's all kinds of disease and, and somehow Pharaoh, I don't know whether it's from, it doesn't really explain, but whether it was revelation or what have you, but Pharaoh gets the idea that this is because of Abraham and figures out that that's not his sister and that it's his wife and says, why did you do this to me and why'd you lie and you've now caused me to have all this you know, disease come up on my house, and he gives Abraham more money and tells him to go, and please get out of here. Uh, but it's kind of it's kind of funny that you'd think that you know, as we see, that would probably not be having a whole lot of faith to go to a country and say they're going to kill me because you're so hot. So let's lie about it. Um, and then, <laughs> and then we're going to go to um, the next thing where we see we're going to see faith, not faith, et cetera, kind of just his humanity. Uh, then what happens is there's so much land, you know, Abraham and Lot, um, that they are so wealthy and that their herdsmen are fighting with each other, that the land doesn't, isn't big enough to hold them. And so then what Abraham says to Lot is you get to pick where you'd like to go. Well, Lot picks what looks very nice on the surface, which happens to be Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And he's because it looks like a great place to go. And so Abraham's like, fine. And so he goes into the land of Canaan. And uh, then what happens is that there's a big war and all of these kings descend upon G Sodom and Gomorrah and loot it like crazy and take Lot and his family and his possessions and all of his people and take them away. So Abraham then goes to pursue the king that did this and he gets his... Uh, he, he gets Lot back with all of his lands and everything else. He takes 300 men and kick butt and, uh, and rescue him. And then we get to, in uh, chapter 13, let's go to verse 18. And I want to hit this particular piece because of the fact that it's speaking about Melchizedek. And through this, we want to keep looking at some of the threads that are pointing to Jesus Christ. And so in verse 18, after this battle happens and... Uh, Abraham walks away with a lot of loot and gets Lot back. In verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is a slang for Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He was, the, uh, he was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so this is, there's a couple things here because later in the Bible, when it calls Jesus Christ a priest, it says that he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. The priests came from the tribe of Levi, which we're going to, you know, read about as we continue uh, in the weeks to come. And Jesus was never in one of, he wasn't a Levite, you know, he wasn't of that lineage. So how he qualified to be a high priest, it said, because he came, he was of the same nature of a high priest the way that Melchizedek was. And then we also see here in terms of faith with, Ab with Abram is that this is the first that you hear of tithing. That, you know, it hadn't been placed into written law yet, but after Abram got blessed by God for being delivered and taking all the loot, then he gave 10% of it and praised God to Melchizedek. So we see his faith there. Let's go to um, uh, chapter 15 and verse 1. And we're going to see more as far as God's promise to Abraham. It says, in, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am... Uh, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now this was like a really horrible thing. Like, it, there, there was nothing as far as, as serious of a curse in, uh, during these times than to not be able to have children. It had said earlier that Sarah was barren and so he's telling the lord well if i don't have kids my life sucks you know like whatever you could do for me is nothing because i don't have any children and they also you know could make a servant their heir which certainly isn't the most gratifying thing as far as having um an heir and then it says in verse four then the word of the lord came to him this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. 
<clears throat> then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And earlier, he had a- God had actually said that, um, uh, I didn't read that part, but that it would be like the dust. That if you could count the dust, that's how many, child- how many children Abram-, Abram would have. And so now he's saying, look at the stars, if you could count them. Now, that sounds crazy. Abram has no children, and his wife is barren. And God is saying right now to him, you are going to have a child from your own flesh. That's a promise from God. And not only just are you going to have children, your offspring are going to be so much that they're like the stars. That's a lot of offspring. There are not too many people that could probably claim that their descendants are like as many as the stars in the sky. But we know on a, on a number of levels, which is interesting, there was like a little note that said that in that part of the world, that there are about 8,000 visible stars. That that's how many. So if you could count all of them, that's how many that you could see from that part of the world. So think about it. The promise is that his offspring would be at least 8,000, and yet he's, he's an old man, his wife is barren, and they have no children. <clears throat> so, it's, you know, so it's definitely going to take a little bit of faith here to believe this. Uh, it's also just an awesome promise, and there's, as we know from the history of what happened with Abraham, not only is Israel and the children of Israel, certainly the descendants were far more than 8,000 people in the future, uh, but also it even says that, fa- that Abraham is the father of all those who believe, which would be about how many people? Millions, yeah, a million. So, so this is actually—it's kind of funny because this probably sounded. I mean, if if you know, if you heard this promise from God, it would probably seem outrageous or unbelievable if you were in Abraham's situation. And yet, God did even way beyond the stars in the sky. And then it says, in verse six, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. You know, I was thinking about this because it says there's a lot of things in terms of faith and what a big deal faith is. And what would that mean where his faith was counted to him as righteousness, if you think about this? You know, what does it look like to have faith? It's not just something that you can just immediately decide one day, is it? I mean, can you do that? Can you just go, oh, I believe. Because if it's going to be real, do you know what I mean? Faith is trust. If it's going to be real to get to the place that you believe and trust God, especially if this, if God made you a promise right now for something that seemed absolutely physically impossible, what would it take to believe that? You know, it's as we look in the Bible and you see faith is something that grows and faith is something that's built over time because faith is trust. It makes sense to trust when something is trustworthy, but you can only know that something's trustworthy over a period of time, can you? You, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it takes a history of being trustworthy to get, oh, I can trust here. So it's interesting in terms of Faith actually says something about where your heart is with God. You know, you have to, like, in the Bible speaks about many things that help build faith. You know, the five things that it talks about in the book of Acts, you know, prayer, fellowship, uh, you know, reading the Bible, all of those things that feed our faith. And it takes preparing your heart, really, to get to the place of believing. Anyway, so it says, 
he believed the Lord, which is a pretty incredible thing. That was his reaction when he heard that promise. And then it says, let's see, uh, let's go down to actually uh, um, chapter 16 and verse 1. So some time goes by. Abraham had believed this. It's an amazing promise. And now we go into Jerry Springer territory. In uh, Genesis 16, this is just all too human. In verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Ooh. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Wow, that, that whole section is just one disaster waiting to happen, as you can imagine. These are real people. It's not like they didn't have feelings just because they lived thousands of years ago or somehow their emotions were different from ours. It was one of those crazy things where, well, for one, we see Sarah knew what the promise of God was, but she got to the place of going, this isn't going to happen. And she's mad at God. So a lot of times, too, when God can be doing something and absolutely ready to deliver, and how often do we quit and decide to just do it our own way? To not be patient with what God's plan is or what he, how he is guiding us and just go, I got this. It's over and over again where people get into trouble instead of trusting God, of just saying, I'll, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make my way to heaven, you know, and, and, and take care of this myself. And so... And Sarah's actually mad at God. She's really thinking, well, she's even saying it's God's fault that she doesn't have any kids. You know, mad at God. The Lord has kept me from having children. Wow. Okay. And then, so she decides to fix it herself by thinking of, oh, I got to have it now. I got to have it now. And that's the other thing, too, as far as patience and this, you know, the immediate gratification thing. So, Culturally, a solution for, for women that were barren and that were well-to-do and had servants is that you could decide that you want your servant to have a child for you. So she decides that that's the solution. Now, mind you, there is no artificial insemination. So guess how she's going to have to have this child? You know, so she's giving her husband to have sex with her servant. How great is that going to turn out? It's, you know, people have not changed. You know, there's, there's no universe that this is just going to happen really comfortably without a problem. Because people are people and people have feelings. So, but Abraham, you know, agreed to what Sarai said. So, so Abraham's sort of like waffling. Uh, it could, who knows, you know, as far as why, whether it's um, he was given up on faith or whether he was just you know, wanted to keep his wife happy and she was miserable or whatever it happened to be. And so in verse 3, it says, So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Uh. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. She's a little bitter person. So um, 
she, you know, and this is, how human is this? How, I, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever made the wrong, you know, here she is, she's not listening to God, she's doing it her own way, but somehow it's God's fault that it turned out this way. You know, it's just sort of like, wait, it's just sort of God was not asking her to do anything like that. And, of course, this is a, you know, really stupid solution to the problem. Uh, we could see it. She couldn't see it. And uh, God could see it. And, and then, of course, now she's blaming Abram. So this is not good for marriage situation. And you can see, as far as the, the Hagar goes, that she's, you know, <laughs> uh, feeling probably pretty superior that she has Abram's child and Sarah can't have one. And then in verse 6, it says, your servant is in the hands of uh in your hands abram said he's like she's yours you deal with her i got nothing to do with this it's uh, whatever you do is fine and so he says that and so sarai mistreated hagar and she fled so then what happens is hagar runs away and then it's really kind of wonderful because it's a terrible situation but the lord has a lot of mercy and love for hagar sends an angel after her and says just come back the lord's going to take care of you going to bless you and then gives a prophecy that says which is interesting. He says, you're now with child and you'll have a son. You'll name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and, and everyone's hand against him and will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Um, so, but there's many, and, and then the Lord really protects Hagar and Ishmael and promises that she will also be a mother, you know, to many, many. So, uh, and, and that God will take care of them. So let's go down to um, 17 in verse 1. Um, then it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and the generations that come to, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And... Um, and it says, oh, well, the whole land of Canaan where you are now uh, an alien, I will give you an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So now here's, there's a whole bunch of things now. The, the covenant turns out to be circumcision. Now talk about some faith. We just went from the not-so-faith where he's sleeping with Hagar, not a good plan, God's not in it, just trying to do his own thing, Sarah's doing her own thing. And then here we go where God's, promising and says you're going to be the father of many nations now he has zero children well you know he's got ishmael but he says um you know he says that this is going to happen through sarah and that he's going to be the father of many nations and then he says you're he's going to change his name to abraham abraham means father of many now, that means that he would have people know his name's Abram. And now he's got to walk around and say, I am now Abraham, which is father of many. So he's got to tell his friends, you know, how do you do? I'm father of many. Father of many. How many children do you have? I have none. You know, so talk about faith. Would you think that you might look a little foolish doing that? Talking about, like it says, that God calls things that be not as though they were. So God could say, 
it's not there, but I'm going to call that, I'm going to call something as if it already is. That's what he did with Abraham. He's like, you don't have any kids, but I'm calling you as if you do have kids, that you're the father of many. And so it took faith for Abraham to, he, he didn't go, I'm going to look stupid, God. I can't do that. People are going to make fun of me. You know, I, I'll look like an idiot walking around telling people that that's my name. And furthermore, even telling people that I've changed my name to father of nations. And then the other part that God says is the covenant that symbolizes that he's going to make this come to pass is circumcision. Now, this is Abraham is an adult. And God's asking him to circumcise himself and to have all of the men that, you know, his, uh, that work for him, every, all of the men to have, be circumcised. So this is an uncomfortable thing, I'm imagining. I just can only imagine and it's really interesting, I think, for many reasons in terms of the symbolism, because the symbolism and what God said is that it's not going to be of your flesh. You can't do it. That's been the message all along of people saying, I can do this without God. I can do this without God. And so if you think about the, the concept of circumcision is cutting off foreskin of the flesh. So you're the, actually cutting off flesh and saying, you can't do this of your flesh in a way that Abraham would be reminded at least once a day of that covenant, of something that would be, you know, a con continual reminder of the fact that, that God made an oath to him and the symbol saying it cannot be of anything that you do or of your flesh. It's not in you. This is something I'm going to bring to pass. Um, so it took a lot of faith for him to do that as well. Then what happens is... Um, uh, <laughs> he laughs about the whole thing, and then Isaac's name means he laughs. God says, your son's name is going to be he laughs. So uh, let's go to 18 and verse 10. Sarah laughs too. There's a lot of laughing going on about this. And uh, in 18 and verse 10, it says... Um, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Uh, oh, and actually, oops. Um, this, is, this is actually when the angels came to, to visit Abraham and, in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, um, uh, and it kind of gets a little intense here with Lot and everything. But anyway, let's... Um, I'll read this part first, though. And the Lord said, Surely I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? So it's really interesting because we see what Sarah looking at right now. Herself. The whole thing is about her. God's making a promise, but guess what she's saying is, wait, I'm worn out, I'm old, me, me, me. I can't do this, this can't happen. And so she laughs. And then in verse 13, and then the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? And then in verse 14, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. The, the, the answer to faith is not looking at us, but looking at God. We are limited. That's the reality. 
we do have limitations. You're never going to have faith looking at your own weaknesses and limitations and all of that. It's in the promise of God. It's taking your eyes. If you look at it, what is too hard for God? You know, what is God capable of? What has God already done? It's, if you put it in perspective of looking at creation and all that God did, looking and keeping your eyes fixed on God, it's then not so much of a stretch that he could make Sarah have a baby. You know, creating the stars and the oceans and, and everything else. Um, so you kind of see the different shift there. And then it says in verse 15, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> Just like, it's kind of funny, too, because I, I don't know about you guys, but there have been times I've, uh, you know, like in prayer where it's just bizarre when I think when I'm lying to the Lord. You know, have you ever tried that? It's just, and then I go, wait, this is a little ridiculous. You know, um, he doesn't exactly, it's not like he's missing anything. You know, you pray and I'm saying things the way I'd like them to be. And I'm all of a sudden going, yeah, that's not really it. You know, <laughs> the Lord, you know, it's just, I'm like, oh, you know, it, it helps to just have your prayers be reality. Um, anyway, let's go. And then what happens as far as Abraham, um, God speaks to Abraham and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because it got really evil. He says it's gotten so evil. It's kind of similar to what happened when the flood of Noah came where it was just dark, dark, dark. And it just said people were evil all the time. And so God says that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham says, would you save it for 50 people? And God's like, yes. And would you save it for 45 people? And God's yes. Would you save it for 40 people? And God's yes. And, and so, and it's just cool because Abraham says, you're God. And I hate to ask you this. And he kind of gets like, you know, but, um, but you're a merciful God. And, and then he gets down to 10 people and God says, yes. So, uh, sometimes people say that that was sort of what Abraham was thinking in terms of getting his family out of there. Um, and then we go to, uh, and then of course, you know, the Sodom and Gomorrah story, it's pretty dark. The, uh, angels show up to visit, um, Lot and they, um, the whole town or everybody in the town comes as, you know, the story and, uh, beats on the, on the building and says, we want to have sex with the guy with these angels in your house and uh well they don't know that they're angels though and uh then the angels make them go blind and then uh god gets them all out of there and then um uh let's go to chapter 21 verse 1 uh there's it's basically says god reigns sulfur which there's different uh, theories about that as far as destroying the city goes, whether it was um, an earthquake. There's a few things as far as how that could have occurred. Um, and then Lot's wife looks back for longing for the city and after God says, don't look back. And there's different understandings for that as well. And it says that she's turned into a pillar of salt, which could be that her being just her looking back to want to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah um, that she was covered with the ashes. There's, uh, pe people have different versions of what that could be, but the concept is and the lesson is that God was trying to take them someplace and she was stuck on wanting to go back to where she came from in a place that was hurtful and destructive and she died as a result. So 
um, the lesson is what the important part is as opposed to what you think it is that she turned into salt. So um, I've, I've heard all kinds of stories on, on what the salt thing is about. Um, in 21 and verse 1, we see, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yes, I born him his son in his old age. So we see the, um, the promise of God come to pass. Now this is Really, really exciting, right? But there's one more part of this story, which is pretty wild, because you see God's incredible deliverance that it seemed impossible. You know, Abraham was a God that loved God and that was faithful and had faith. It said that he's the father of all those that believed. And he believed in the impossible and stayed connected to God. A little up and down, but overall, a lot of faith there. So then the next part of the story, which I want to uh, close out on, and so he has a son, and through Isaac, the promise is that he's going to be the father of many nations and that he's going to be a great nation. But right now he's just got one son, Isaac. And because um, Hagar and Ishmael took off and God took care of them. And um, in chapter 22 and verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, wow. God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice. Now, a burnt offering, you don't survive those. He says, take your son, your only son, and look at the emphasis there. It says, your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. So this can't have been an easy thing to do. And there could be many things in terms of God. You know, you'd think there's a lot of questions that Abraham could say, wow, that's crazy. I don't want to do that. That's, you know, what kind of God are you? And, you know, those would be really understandable questions in a lot of ways. But it says in verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So wait a minute. What do you think Abraham's thinking that he says, we're going stay here, we're going to go worship, and we'll come back to you. Well, as it says in, an, in another part of the scripture, God promised through Isaac that he would be the father of many nations, so guess what the only way to make this work would be? Is for God to raise him from the dead. Abraham, and it says in the New Testament, we'll, we're actually going to take a look in a little bit about that, Abraham's faith was such that he believed it so much in the promise that through Isaac he would be the father of many nations that if he was asked to sacrifice his son that God would get him up from the dead. Abraham and Isaac are a tupos or a type of the coming of Jesus Christ. What do you think that did for the faith of Jesus 
when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane having to face the crucifixion when the promise is that God would get him up from the dead, this is the example of that faith. It even says so in the New Testament. The only way that he walked into this is believing absolutely that that's what God would do. That's how sure he was that when God promised something, he wasn't going to renege on it. He was, I mean, talk about being confident that God is love and good, that he, he walked in believing that there was no way that God would want something bad for him. That a God was good for his word. So in his mind, he wasn't sacrificing Isaac to kill him. He was being obedient to God, knowing that God would raise him from the dead. It just like boggles the mind. But part of this is getting to the place where he really, really believed that God would never ask him to do something that would harm him. Even if it looked up front like, like it's a bad thing, that he really, really trusted God to that point, that he was faithful um, and good. So let's keep reading. Because he says, we'll come back. We is more than one person. Me and Isaac, we'll we'll be back after that. And in verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the father and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, Isaac is older at this point. Abraham's an old man. So you also see that Isaac did this willingly as well, which is another tupos of Jesus Christ, that Abraham sacrificing his son, and you see Isaac saying, I trust God as well. That's how much the faith that Isaac had had in going along with this. Otherwise, I think he would have lost the battle if he was trying to tie up his grown son. Because, uh, uh, you know, over 100 years old at this point. Um, and then it says... Um, oh. Uh, and then in verse 10 it says, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket saw a ram by the horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. We also see another thing which is interesting because this is all tying into Jesus. The idea of a substitute sacrifice. You know, that's what Jesus was. Jesus stood in the place where we should have been crucified for, for our sin and our iniquity. And so we see the concept of God providing another sacrifice in the place of Isaac. So there's all kinds of things that talk about the coming of Jesus. I want you to just go, um, uh, well, actually, let me, you know, I'm going to read this and then we'll, we'll go to Hebrews really quick. It says, then the, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the st- stars in the sky. And as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies and through their offspring, all nations of earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. 
Uh, and let's go to Hebrews 11, and we'll see what it says as far as the purpose of this record. Because you can read between the lines, but then it verifies it in Hebrews 11 in verse 17. This is the, the faith chapter. It says in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who had received the promise, promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did re re uh, receive Isaac back from the dead. In Abraham's mind, Isaac was as good as dead, and, and, but that's how he was willing. So there's so many parts here in not only establishing, you know, that's why Abraham is called the father of faith to believe to that place, that he had so much trust in God that he would trust his, his one and only son. In, in sacrificing, trusting that God is good, that he's willing and able to deliver what he had promised. And how much that helped the coming of Jesus Christ and preparing the hearts of what God was going to do in Jesus, that the love of a father, the concept of the love of God giving his only begotten son, that there's no greater, son, no, no greater love than that, and that he would indeed raise him from the dead. Jesus hadn't seen that play out before, but he knew the Bible. He knew what Abraham uh he knew the story of Abraham, and he knew the faith that Abraham had that this would come to pass. So anyway, amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just ask you that I, I know that we are so not perfect when it comes to faith, but my heart's desire is to learn to trust you and to walk with you in a bigger way. I definitely do not have the faith that Abraham had that I could bring myself to, to do that, but I want to be in a place that I grow to trust you and not to question so much and to know that you're a God of love and of goodness and that sometimes the places that you're leading us might not look, you know, we, we might not get it right away. We might not understand or be clear, but that we want to be obedient knowing that you are good and that you're love and that we want to trust our future in you and not try and come up with our own answers and our own solutions and try and be God. God, help me not to play God in my life, to let you be God and to let you take care and to trust you and to surrender and to submit to you and your goodness because truly that is where we are the most blessed, God. I pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.